OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Okay, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. We are on the OPN uh, Ask an Angel podcast. This is I should actually get the exact number, but I think let's just say we're between 40 and 50 of uh, some great interviews that we've had with angel investors across uh, the globe. And today we're with Kay. And Kay, um, the best way to start this off is for you to give a bit of a background on yourself, um, where you've come from, what you've done, and kind of where you're at now. And then we're going to just dive right into a conversation and we'll go from there. And at the end of it, give me one thing that nobody would know about you. Okay. Do you want me to tell you the long story or the, the short, short? <laughs> you do what's best to give you enough information. We want to we understand more about you and how you think and why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, okay, I'll give you the uh, the story that I tell everyone. So uh, I'm Kay, also known as Enterprise Guy. It's sort of cheesy, but uh, there's a story and logic and strategy as to why I chose that stage name, right? And there's a reason why I chose a stage name. So I'll tell you the story. Uh, everything for me started four years ago when I left the financial services industry. And the reason why I left was conflict of interest. What I realized is that working there, they wouldn't allow me to invest my money the way I wanted to. And so the moment I left, I literally had no idea what to do, uh, but I knew I wanted to practice finance. So I started this investment club and that club started off with just three people at a cafe. And after that moment, I fell in love with teaching. And then fast forward four years later to today, I still teach every Sunday and I get about 100 to 110 attendees. And through that journey alone, I get to meet, I got to meet engineers, investors, professionals all over Silicon Valley, as well as master my understanding of investing at the global macro level, right? We talk about investing into gold, silver, gold miners, uranium, oil, agriculture, but uh, I eventually develop a sweet spot for enterprise software. And this is from me slicing and dicing the global economy in 11 different sectors. So companies like, you know, Datadog, Sumo Logic, Snowflake, MongoDB, all those companies fascinate me. But if you're like a pretty, I guess you could say, well, sophisticated investor and you track the markets pretty actively, these are some of the most fast, fastest growing securities globally today. So that's how I kind of primarily focus my investment thesis on enterprise software. So as I was teaching, uh, eventually I met people that came into my life that really changed my life. Uh, The first one I would like to say is a meetup partner. And then the second one's a venture capitalist. The first one, the meetup partner, he reached out. He said, Kay, you're growing on the meetup.com platform. Why don't we team up and host events? And I told the guy, sure, where can I help? And next thing you know, we're hosting all these events all over Silicon Valley. And it got to a point where I was meeting about 400 people in person each month. I counted. And the ultimate thing I learned was that people wouldn't, uh, were not able to remember, remember my name. So I was the host of my own event, but people were calling me like, hey, you're the host guy, right? You're the startup guy, right? And I realized like, huh, these engineers are too busy to remember, remember anything. So I decided to brand myself as enterprise guy. And that also fits a investment thesis that I, I see on the world as well, right? The changing landscape of the consumer technology stack. Everyone has a higher level of digital infrastructure in their pockets today. It allows one to essentially build and distribute a lot more information more than ever. So I personally believe with that stage name, the thesis is that everyone's going to become an enterprise guy or girl. They just don't know it yet. But soon as the global economics and the wage inflation and all that and the wealth inequality expands, all that economics are going to line up. That's going to force the average individual to participate more on the, uh, I guess you say, digital economy. 
as well as the influencer stack. So I'm bullish on that stack. And again, uh, I think the individual today has a lot more digital firepower than they really know. So everyone's becoming an enterprise guy or girl, just saying that. So that's the story of the stage name. But what happened next was <clears throat> I eventually bumped into a venture capitalist at one of my lectures. And I guess he enjoyed the lecture uh, enough to give me a call after and said, Kay, I want you on my team and do venture capital with me. And I said, sure, where do I sign? <laughs> and so the rest is history. And so uh, to date, we've done about nine opportunities. And I think we're looking at our 10th one right now. So uh, the 10th one's pretty interesting. It's in the Web 3.0 uh, segment uh, or blockchain. And there's also a billionaire who's also an advisor investor in that startup as well. So still in the works, but that's where we are today. That's my intro. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Uh, can you give us a little bit on your background? Like what got you into this? Where, what was your, um, I don't know, were you a little hustler as a kid and you uh, were making money uh, selling uh, toys or what were you doing? Like, what was the background? What got you into, into finance and got you moving along this train? Dang, that's pretty personal. Uh, I think the thing that got me into finance and economics was just kind of like growing up, I wanted to, I, I guess it comes to a point in high school uh, when you get out of high school, you got to figure out what you want to do in life. And so the first thing I did was I went to the library and I started checking out these books and they were related all on self-development. So I went through, I, I, little did I know I was going through sales training. So I was reading books on like Brian Tracy and all that. And, you know, just kind of reading those books, it eventually made me realize like, oh, they, all these salespeople or all those self-development books, they keep talking about economics. So why don't I jump into economics? And so I started with self-development, moved to economic books, and that gave me a foundation. And then I realized like, huh, a lot of the economics, they kind of revolve around a specific technology hub in, in the world somewhere, right? These financial centers, believe. And so that, that led me to the next thing where I started chasing finance. And then in college, I jumped into uh, uh, this, this investment organization in college and became the chief investment officer. And so I started running these stock market simulators in college. And what happened was, well, and I played a total of five games. The first game I played, I was like top five. The second game I played, I was dead last. And then the third game, and then that summer I said, I'm gonna train really hard and study the stock market to win this simulator game. And so that summer I came back <laughs> and then I got first place the third time. And then the fourth and fifth time I got first place. And it got to a point where they thought I was rigging the game because at one point I was the CIO or chief investment officer of the organization. And I, I ran the game and I won the game. And they're like, this guy is cheating. So he can't, he, he can't take the prize, but it's okay. I did it for myself. And that's basically what inspired the journey for me to get into security analysis. And everything really started with me mastering the public markets for the last seven years of teaching. Uh, I'm sorry, four years of teaching, but seven years as a practitioner to now recently moving into the private market and analyzing like, you know, frontier technologies and angel investments, private investing and, and just the landscape, right? It's so different, but it's really nice to have the public market as my, uh, my, my, my compass or guidance, right? I, I leveraged that a lot because most people don't realize that the, the stock market, if you could pull up a portal, that is like the central hub of like worldly wisdom where anyone that decides to start a business, if it grows to a billion dollar in sales or whatever, you could see how it performs, right? You could pull a Boeing or a Chevron and you could see that, oh, well, eventually if I grow it to a billion, they only take home like two, 3% profit margins or, or like the gross margins are very thin below like 15%. But enterprise software, the margins are like 70%. And these stocks are just screaming higher, 
right? Now, of course, there's also macro tailwinds like money printing and all that, but uh, it, it's a segment that I think will infinitely continue to perform, which is like this advanced uh, technology segment, which is always going to be changing, right? So uh, that's that's how I got into it. Very cool. What's yeah. one thing that nobody would know about you that you want to share? <laughs> uh, well, nobody would know about me. I'd say, I, I mean, interesting fact is at this point, I've done 181 lectures in the last 40, 40, four years. So 181 every, lectures. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's uh, like teaching a class, right? You're talking about every, lectures, every Sunday. You're talking about doing uh, a presentation and you're doing uh, the same presentation 181 times. No, I'm actually doing progressive lectures. So a anything that interests me during the week, I'll, I'll put it up on like, you know, on the weekend, I'll put in a few hours and just write up what I'm going to present. So every week, I, it's like a genius hour or two hours where I force myself to learn something new and just kind of better understand the world. Right. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. So in this genius hour, have you done anything on uh, the angel investing side and how you have built out this thesis around enterprise? Uh, yes, I have. But it was actually, you know, my, my private investing or angel investing, the, the bulk of its thesis derives from a public place. And the public place, that thesis derives from just observing the world and what the world's doing. So it's, it's quite simple because if you look at public, you know, public comparable with something like a snowflake, that's enterprise software, right? It's trading right now at a 200 times price to sales multiple. So if you understand the mathematics of that, it's price to sales, not price to earnings. So price to sales at 200, that means if you go out there and you do a million dollar deal, you just increase the company's value by 200 million, shareholder value by 200 million. And the market's willing to pay for that right now. Now it won't be like that forever, but as long as this environment exists, then looking at the private side, investing into infrastructure software, anything that's part of Snowflake will be extremely lucrative because the market right now, currently speaking, is pricing this at 200 times price of sales multiple. So, so a lot of my thesis is revolved around if I'm able to develop or invest at the very, very early stage, then I want to pick a security, you know, look at a public market comparable with the highest multiple because that's likely to, well, have the quickest ROI. And then we could talk about the technology aspect of it as well which gets super interesting. Fire away. Keep yeah. going. Yes. I'll keep going. Okay. So, uh, so I mean that, that was, uh, you know, that's one thesis, right? Enterprise software, snowflake. Uh, I mean, I think, I think the simplest way to teach anyone what I'm doing is really, if you understand market structure, right? First of all, understand the market structure. Market structure is basically saying at the lowest level of transaction, you got the consumers. Right, an average consumer will spend five dollars on a cup of coffee, spend twenty-five thousand dollars on a car. That's typically the the transaction size. You go a little bit higher, you got SMB, small to medium-sized business. Those businesses could transact twenty-five thousand a month on marketing, and then you go a little bit higher, you got middle market businesses. Middle market would be like let's say a factory or doing logistics, so they could spend like a hundred thousand a month on whatever expenses. Then you go a little bit higher, you got enterprise. That's kind of where I focus, right? And enterprises typically uh, those business models are global, and that's why we get these unicorn valuations. So whenever you're talking to a startup at the angel level or private level, you want to make sure that the opportunity is global. If there's no global opportunity, there's no billion-dollar exit. So global scalability is very important. So when we dive into technology, we want to understand that, okay, what could really scale? And software could really scale compared to hardware investing. Hardware has a lot of upfront costs, but software, you're building on top of existing infrastructures already. So before we get into all those, right, you got the... Uh, 
consumer, small business, middle market, enterprise. And then the highest transaction level is probably at the sovereign level or government level. Because the government level could spend upwards of 100 million on like commodities or whichever. So, so that's the biggest transactor. But then it's good to know the government's at the top because they print the money and it trickles down, right? And so uh, what was your question again? I, I kind of lost my train of thought. It was- uh, No, you were giving an example of if, uh, on your thesis and how the market is right, 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 attracted right. to the enterprise market. And yep, then on yep, the yep. tech side, going to hardware and, and not, maybe not hardware, but going into deeping, diving deeper into how yeah. and why you invest. So, in so, so yeah, I do apologize. So remember that structure, okay? From enterprise down to consumer. And if you were to look at all the valuations across the spectrum, you know, a consumer could build a small business like a cafe. And if you sold a cafe, a cafe would sell, a cafe or restaurant, it would sell for two to three times of, I'm sorry, one to two times of earnings. So if the cafe made 100K, it will sell for about 150, 200K. So why would you want to build that? Now you go up a little bit, you go into like middle market, you could sell a factory or, or a logistics business for, let's just say a five price to earnings. So it makes 100K, you sell it for 500K. You go a little bit more into enterprise, which is public. You look at something like an Apple or Google or whatever, uh, S&P 500 stock, they, they'll sell at a price to earnings of 20. So, you know, PE of 20, you sell for 20 times of what you make. But then you go a little bit higher and you see this, you know, advanced technology and for enterprise software or some sophisticated software, AI software, it's selling for just, it's selling for 200 times price to sales, which is Snowflake is the example. So the question is, is price to sales, not price to earnings. Meaning these guys don't even have to be profitable. They just need to win the contracts. So as an investor, I'm thinking like, okay, do I want to invest into a cafe, a middle market or enterprise? Okay, enterprise is lucrative, but then which part of enterprise? You could further classify and you realize like software is just really, the markets are just really valuing it higher, right? Now, now you know, a, a fundamental analyst will look at that and say like, okay, well, the, value is out, out, the valuation is out of control, but I think I've looked at the public markets long enough now to come to a few conclusions because these technology companies is a reaction of an investor and what they believe, right? If they're willing to pay, you know, buy up this momentum, this price, they're, they're seeing the world of tomorrow in what and how they bid their money, how, how they put their money. So, so I, 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 I not only derive investment opportunities from this analysis, but also I get to see where the world's going next. And so most of my angel investing thesis is deriving from that high multiplier Right, anything that's trading like a 50 times price of sales, like a Zoom or whichever, Zoom's probably 100, I forget. But I wanna invest around that because I know I'm building from something from zero to one and it's gonna sell at that price. And then you could further add you know, other uh, possible tailwinds like uh, you know, uh, adding the demographic landscape. It's bullish for the older or younger generation, adding global macro to it, they're printing money, adding technological tailwinds like AI machine learning. So there's many ways to go about it, but you start to figure out the blend of exposure you have as an investment. If that makes sense. No, it totally does. And um, I, I love the whole, uh, your whole thesis around enterprise software. Yep. Um, we're a deep tech. I call it deep tech versus enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, own a software company we have for 15 years and we build tech. So we build software, but yeah. I'm a big fan of deep tech because you don't see companies that do deep tech anymore these days. Everybody's yeah. always front facing uh, business to consumer B2C. There's not a lot of really complicated systems that are doing a lot of backend transactions. Yeah. So we're big fans of deep tech and okay. fintech because okay. those two are the ones that run 
basically are going to run the world. And I yeah. think I talked about this, but they're also, they're great, but these are long-term plays. Uh, they yeah. take a long time to build, right? Like Netflix yeah. didn't start last week and become no a, a juggernaut. They've been around for 20, 25 years, I think it is. Yep. Um, and, you know, they've gone through a lot of transformation. They were selling DVDs. Like that's how much they've morphed their tech, right? Um, yep. And that goes for a lot of these big enterprise companies that have had to really deep dive into that tech stack and become analytical base. And, you know, that's how they're forward facing to that business to consumer. Like they're really... Yeah. Um, the tech that they've built behind this, you know, just you looking at different Netflix shows, they know how to change the image based on the preferences that you've looked at to attract you to watch this flick because that's generating dollars, uh, more yep. builds, and it's telling them what they need to do next. Facebook yep. does the same. Google does the same. So th there's uh, the world's revolving around that 100%, yeah, um, yep. and you're driving out a whole different footprint. Uh, versus yeah. 2001 when you had the bubble crash and everything else. I think the markets are choking right now. And yeah. over the last three weeks, two weeks, they've had a tough time in the public markets trying to figure out where they're going to position. Yeah. What you're finding is that they're all kind of, oh, COVID's bad, even though COVID was bad when it's all started. Oh, it's bad again. So the markets are dumping down right now. But the problem is, is that all of the people that are pushing out um, their numbers this quarter, they're all crushing them. So yeah. the market's like, no, we need to sell off so we can make more money. And the, uh, the base market's going, are you kidding me? These guys are crushing their numbers. We can't just sink the market right now because of COVID. So they're, yeah. I think they're fighting right now on where the base is or the bottom is going to be because it's hard to go and crush the system when yep. you have companies that are coming out and blowing out of the water. Like uh, today you or this morning you had um, uh, Shopify come out, crush their numbers. Well, if this morning they came out and the big money was going to crash the markets, they decided, well, maybe we can't today because five companies that were supposed to not make their numbers crushed them. So damn it, deep tech, what are we <laughs> going to do? So there, yeah. uh, there is this imbalance going on. And, and I saw this great stat the other day was that 80% of the market is the U.S. markets are owned by 1% of the U.S. and 90% of the market is owned by 10% of yep. the US. So yep, yep. it tells you how these things are fluctuating, how they make money and how they control the money flow of what's going on in these businesses. Yeah. Um, and the, a lot of money shifting into tech because it's stability, it's accessibility. It's a lot yep. of things that we can't control, but the markets can and they're, they are right. So yeah, and, and it, it also that I, I love how we're kind of going at the macro level of like angel investing or just investing and then down to the micro. But what you just said made a lot of sense. And what we talked about last time as well is, you know, you're talking about the majority of the market, 90% uh, of uh, uh, the market is owned by a very small group. Right. And so if it, now we're in a global pandemic environment, the governments, at least the USA, they're forced to print money to kind of hold the markets up. My thesis is that it's going to create wealth inequality and that wealth inequality is going to expand. No doubt. No doubt about that. Right. You see stock prices go up, Apple going up to two trillion. And we're kind of asking ourselves, like, is this, you know, is this like real? But when we know obvious productivity went down, so it's definitely a K recovery or whichever. But what I realize is that uh, over time, if we continue to do this, you have to as an investor, I believe you have to think about the demographic curve, because uh, as you make the game more unfair or increase wealth inequality, Generation Z, Y, X, and maybe then later X to baby boomer and silent generation, that wealth inequality is going to force the younger generation to disengage from the economic games because it's unfair. 
and, yeah. and, and it's going to take them to increase their attention in the digital economy. So as investors, we need to look at what the younger generation believes in as value, because there are other things that are emerging out there like Web 3.0 or blockchain and all that and, and influencer stack and all is going to really it creates opportunity. But this is like a dynamic that I'm seeing that the older, I guess it's political, we're forcing the younger generation to behave this way because we're not letting the game reset, essentially. We can't afford to let the game reset. No. Last time I checked, looking at the right USA. There. You can't we... afford to let the game reset. <laughs> and that's really what's happening right now. Yeah. Think about it. When the recession was supposed to hit in March, yeah. numbers came out, oh my God, crashed. It wasn't even a big crash. Yep. A bigger crash happened in the bubble in 2001, the financial crisis in 2007. Yep. Those were crashes. Yep, this yep. is like a literally a miniature bump that was like, okay, panic sell. And yep. then they're like, okay, catch it. And then super hyper growth. <laughs> yep, yep. Once exactly. they regained everything back that they lost over five years. And, yeah. it, and it, the thing is, is that, um, and, and I was thinking about this the other day and it, it goes back to the conversation we were having and it, and it, uh, it before when a company would come in, a new company would come in and pitch, um, a big business, they would be like, you know what? Don't have time. Not yeah. really interested Yeah. because you're not really positioned. I'm worried that you may sink and I'm going to lose clients because you're not really ready or you're not funded. Yeah. So that was 10 years ago. Now the problem is, is that as you mentioned, they can't hit the reset button, but the problem is it's too high and the yeah. bar is so high. Yeah. You can't buy homes. They yep. can't buy um, companies, they yep. can't do anything because you have to be super financially rich. Yep. So you have two options. You inherit money or you find new markets that yep. aren't being tapped to get into. Exactly. So the FOMO effect, which is now you look at digital currencies, you know, five years ago, they were nothing. And then all of a sudden that was where everybody put their money in. So now they're super high priced. Yep. Nobody wants to go into them. They're kind of fluctuating a little bit, but they're almost in tandem with the rest of the market because they're so yep. high priced. Yep. That everybody's like, okay, really, am I going to go and buy a pizza anymore with my Bitcoin? No way, because the price could drop or go up by 400 bucks tomorrow. So why would I go and throw my money in that? I'm just going to sit yeah. on it. So yeah. now I have a whole bunch of these assets that are all super overpriced, homes, everything. Mm -hmm. And they're all up in this top upper tier. But nobody will let them drop. Governments even stated, we will yep. protect real estate because that's everybody's piggy bank. Yep. So if we yep. don't, we know the markets are going to crash big time. So governments yep. are protecting that. Where in 2007, they weren't protecting it. Yeah. They were like, you know what? We can't do anything about it. Financial crisis. You caused this. Too bad you're all going to deal with it. So they, yeah. they spent a couple, I think, $2 trillion in the US to yeah, correct. Yeah. Now, this crisis is not a cause by anybody per se. So yep. now they're saying, well, we got to protect everybody and we got to save everybody. So we're going to go to universal income. We're going to do all these things. But- yep. We're going to spend as much money as we can out of this. So now yeah. we're at to, Canada will be in its first time hitting a trillion dollar de deficit. Yeah. Yep. And the U.S. is probably going to have 27 trillion uh, yeah. in debt, but they yep, don't care. Yep. And everybody's like, we've got to protect our assets, which all this does is means that in six months or a year, yep. that home you want to buy is still going to be 30% more expensive. Yep. Your yep averagely rate for hiring somebody is still going to cost you $50 an hour yeah. and it's going to just keep going up. So the problem is, is that your reverse inflation, you're going to have the same problems you've had in countries that had bad inflation, which yep. is like $5 million to buy a hamburger. 
Yep, yep. Um, you're going to have the same problem here, except for that $5 million to buy a hamburger is the only way you can pay someone to actually do work and get that hamburger. Yeah. So there isn't, there's got to be a reset button somewhere that levels things back to normal but, because we're all trying to win money. And that yep. money is causing the dollar to keep getting so expensive that you're crushing everybody out of the market. So the poor are going to get way poor. Yep. And the rich are going to stay rich and the divide is going to separate at a crazy rate. And startups are going to suffer in this because it's going to be hard to get investors to invest because their dollars losing value just by putting money into something that you got to wait five to seven years on. Um, because it's not carrying the same value. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like economically speaking, the game is pretty stretched and they did a good job of putting away the uh, economic invisible hand, let's say. And right now the markets are very driven by politics. And if you ask my honest opinion, looking at the financial structural forces of the governments around the world, I think they don't have a choice but to print money. And so the worser of two evils is probably wealth inequality is better than total chaos and destruction. So my belief is that, okay, uh, the thesis, even though this is not about global macro, I could talk about global macro all day. My thesis is that they're going to print a lot more money globally. It's going to be synchronized. And as they print a lot more money, investors will be forced to chase something that's finite. So don't chase money or fiat, chase a cap table, which is finite. <laughs> yep. That's the that's the angel investment thesis. So does that mean that you're going to end up or they end up creating more uh net value net worth because they're pushing so much cash out people just like when they were giving everybody two thousand dollars a month yeah based to work well i don't know what it yep. was in the us but in canada we had the two thousand right yep so does that now create because there's all that free-flowing money yep. does that bump up net worth and now everybody's looking for the next deal so now everybody's pushing their money out yeah they've got nothing to protect themselves so they're all yeah. risking like crazy I think the leaders of the world uh, are it's basically painting and saying, hey, there's nothing going on here. Keep the game going. <laughs> Keep playing. So uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. But, uh, you know, when I look at big, big venture funds like SoftBank being the biggest one raising 100 billion, I don't know about you. But to me, the model that what what it looks like to me is that what they're doing is we got 100 billion. We'll go out there, buy the cap table. That's finite. Doesn't sure. matter about money. Buy the cap table. We'll accumulate enough equity position. Now we have an equity portfolio. Go to another investment bank, borrow against it. It's crazy. crazy. So it's crazy. Where, yeah. do you, where do you think that that sits then with, and today I was on a, a panel where they were saying, um, you know, angel investing is now a new asset class. I've always thought it was an asset class. I didn't yep. think it was new, but apparently now they're classifying it as new. Yep. yep. Um, and they're saying, you know what, allocate 10% here, 10% there, like whatever you can. Uh, but from a, a risk and expense standpoint, even the valuations of companies you would think of would have dropped because of the pandemic. They're actually higher now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen pre-money valuation companies were raising $5 million on a $20 million valuation. We have zero sales. Yep, yep, We've yep. got a great platform. And you're, it's just, well, how? What? It's, a it's a zombie environment. I mean, I, I look at the public markets and a lot of the enterprise software companies that are just appreciating from 5 to $20 billion, let's say. It's all zombies. It's price of sales. Prices. I mean, it, we're just moving the game out a little bit because, look, time is only going to keep moving forward. It's not going to stop and, and be respectful of like where I'm at or where you're at in terms of age. So I think we just have to listen to the politics now because, again, they, they put away the invisible hand and we got the visible hand. And the visible hand is saying you got to keep playing because if you don't, it's a worse case scenario. And they just have too many promises and entitlements that they have to the older generation. Right. Social Security, defense education, healthcare, all that stuff. Uh, they just 
have to pay it. And so I think normally they're going to pay it, meaning I'll give you those checks. I'll give you two, three thousand dollars, right, to pay what I owe you because I promise you. But on a real, real basis, I think they're devaluing the currency. And, and so in my lifetime, I mean, I'm a millennial, right? But in my lifetime, I still believe that we're all going to use the dollar just because if you understand the technology adoption curve, mainstream market doesn't understand the dynamics of money and being printed, right? Yeah, we have internet culture. It seems to be distributed now and everyone's saying the money, the money printer goes burr, right? <laughs> but I think, you know, looking at the level of financial literacy across the board, because I'm an investment lecturer and I meet hundreds of people and lecturing to them, I realize like we're still going to use the dollar in my lifetime. But what's different, in my opinion, is the value of the dollar. It might be significantly lower. So, in, you know, in that in that case, it would create an inflationary tailwind for equity prices. So I, I, I think we've evolved the game away from uh, chasing fiat, right, right? That's previous value. The new value is chasing equity ta uh, cap tables or equity percentages. Because, I mean, you could chase Bitcoin. I'm, I'm bullish on Bitcoin from a demographic perspective and mathematical perspective. But as long as the politics remain in play or in place, uh, they could easily declare that legal, whichever. That makes it kind of risky. So I think, you know, real estate and equity ownership, that's part of the legal system. And that's going to remain, right? Because my, my, my understanding is that a billionaire is only worth a billionaire as long as the legal system remains in place. So if the legal system collapsed, which we're all protecting, essentially, what makes you, who says you own that $100 million building anymore? <laughs> so, so, so in a way, you know, when I look at like 5,000 years of history, uh, I noticed that empires would rise and fall, legal systems would rise and fall. But the one thing that remains is technology, I believe. Like technology over 5,000 years of history, it just kept evolving forward while legal systems and empires collapse and then reinvent themselves. So I think we're getting to a period today where technology has just went on an exponential curve while, while the legal system is just remaining constant. And so that exponential curve with the difference of that constant legal system curve or line creates a huge opportunity of delta for undiscovered margins and investment opportunities. But it also puts a lot of stress on the legal system. So, I mean, we, we could get super political, but this is kind of how I'm shaping my thesis as an investor and then shaping my performance in the private investing landscape, also public. And you got to do those things because... Uh, I think, uh, and, and I like, again, how you've broken this down and how you've kind of researched out where you're getting opportunities, because just like anything, if you're going to invest your money, and I remember 20 years ago when I spent yeah. uh, 18 hours a day trading stocks, <laughs> and I was oh, <laughs> up researching who was going to pop, back then you could actually almost predict it because it was based off sales. It was based off revenue generators. So you yeah. could figure out that this company was going to come out with some big numbers and the stock would pop. Well, today they've shifted that all around. Facebook won't tell you how many new users they have because it's an irrelevant data point. Why? Because it's about their revenue now. So if you base it on their new users, which Netflix is going to go to, they're at saturation. You know, it doesn't matter that they've got 2 million or they get another billion, sorry, 2 yeah. billion, but they're yeah. going to get the next billion. It almost is irrelevant. It's more about what they're going to do with those, the, the revenue that's coming in. Are they able to get that 40% increase in revenue what were they doing to get more out of those users and right. netflix isn't at that they're not in th this market isn't at that space right now so now they've had a big decrease in user acquisition which they mm -hmm. were supposed to have eight million they had two million so they were way off it looked bad they put the projections in so yeah. they get a little bit crushed but <clears throat> when you look at the revenue model it's going to start to shift they're going to have to start playing off the revenue model it's not about users anymore so 
The other thing that goes in the big markets is that um, everybody, when there was issues occurring, and you saw this at the beginning of the pandemic, people started to dump into gold. And today, gold is still highly priced, but nobody's dumping into it anymore. Everybody's yeah, like, yeah. wait a sec, I should put money in gold? Why? What's yeah, it protecting? Yeah, yeah. Gold is just as uh, a loser than the rest of these companies. So yeah. I don't think I need to go into gold anymore. I'm going to dump all my money into securities because at least that way, I know the big governments and the, the tech have to pay, pay money into this. So they're going to be more stable than gold. Yep. And since these other countries own it all, I'm going to change. So now when you get into startups, it's the same. Am I really looking at my portfolio and deciding which ones can I invest in? Or am I shifting everything to what actually makes the most sense based yep. on the times that we're in and saying these companies are going to survive, which then that means all new startups are fo focusing just on organics. They're just focused on stability and being able to weather through a two-year pandemic or a 10-year pandemic. And the yep. rest of the things are going to have to do it and make it on their own. And we're going to yep. have to hope a bank decides to take the risk on them in order for this to survive and to startups to have that space. So now yep. you're seeing a massive shift in how startups are functioning because they can't get funding, which yep. is AI, AI, blockchain a little bit, AI, AI, um, all software and everybody else is, you know, having a tough go. Yeah. So that could create an opportunity for investment as well, because those companies are now in stealth mode. And they can slowly grow and be profitable without anybody knowing because they're not really being paid attention to. And you have to find them. Private market investing is completely different than public market investing, where it's simply go onto a web portal and click a few buttons and you, you, you have exposure. Yep. Private market, completely different. And you got to be a great deal sourcer. Essentially, angel investing is being a, a great hustler, in my opinion. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you can create a great funnel, too. And I was thinking about this. We have a great funnel. But really, at the end of the day, if you're not going out there and hunting... Yeah. You're never going to find the best if you're not hunting. And that yep. goes for any company you work for. You got to hunt. You got to yep. really figure out where you need to be and go and corner that market, right? You can be the number one blockchain investor, but if blockchain's not getting the love and attention that you need, it might yep. be short-lived. You got to find things that are currently relevant and getting a lot of attention, right? Yep. Yep. 100%. Well, that's brilliant, man. And and I know that uh, we've had this discussion a few times, which is... is uh, it uh, gets better every time. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, I guess now that as you've been working through this thesis, maybe you can give us a little bit of an idea of um, the type of structure and the way you guys operate. Because what I love about your model that you guys do is that it's so unique. But the best part was that, um, uh, excuse me, the, the, uh, the GP, the owner of the fund, um, what's his name again? Thomas John. Thomas, Thomas on. Thomas, <laughs> yeah. yes. The way yep. Thomas said was that, and this is what I loved about the conversation I had with Thomas was that he said, um, I want to create a new group of investors. I want to bring in younger people that can invest and take the gauntlet, if you will, and mm. change the way the world works by bringing in and helping younger people understand finance and invest. And I thought like, that's brilliant. <laughs> so I, I, I want to make sure that our investors are getting returns and making money and doing all those things. And he wants to bring people in younger, get them into the mix and start investing. And I was like, man, that's phenomenal because yeah. nobody thinks that way, right? They're always just thinking, oh, I need to get the investors that have been doing this for a hundred years, get them yeah. in here, working away. And that changed. So maybe you can give us a little breakdown on that because I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think the model is pretty simple. Um, the model, the way it works is, I, I think you also find this with other venture scouts that exist out there, right? I think Sequoia Capital 
uh, has a similar program. Yep. But what it is, is uh, essentially at the top, you have the, I guess, the venture, the, the holdings or the family office company. And then from there, they will basically, uh, you know, that, that, that entity will be a GP of the new entity that you uh, create together. So my entity is called Enterprise Guy Ventures Limited. And together we split 50-50, uh, myself and Thomas. And so that every time I source an investment opportunity, the mothership holdings company will wire the funds into that other entity. And then, uh, and then we will deploy the investment into uh, the startup. And then in return, we'll get like the safe or the, the convertible note. So that's essentially the model. Uh, and it's split based off of the, the equity ownership. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys are now a team of, is it? 18 or 19. Yeah, I guess 18. Just under 20 and, people, right? Yeah, yeah. Just under 20 people. Uh, that's brilliant. And yeah. uh, he's creating a whole new area of investors, which I think is so awesome. And everybody <laughs> has their own thesis. Yeah. Hustlers, and they're all going out and finding great deals that they can jump into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. it. Oh, I'm sold. I might actually have to come work for you guys. I just think it's brilliant. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. I like to see that too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about um, when you're working with the startup and you get into uh, working with them because they're coming from a different approach. You're not coming in from a pure like pitch, DD, uh, legal DD, like going through this whole spectrum, you're doing a lot of the research, you're approaching them and saying, Hey, I want to invest in your company. How do yep. we go about this? Yep, um, yep, yep. Can you give a little bit more description on that because it is so much different than the way an angel group works or the way a VC works. Sure. You're, you're basically structuring a whole different platform for how you deal with them. So maybe talk a little yeah. bit. About- yeah. I, I think this model that I'm kind of operating or my deal sourcing prospecting strategy, uh, it's really classic enterprise software sales. So that was my background as well. And the difference between enterprise software sales and regular sales, I like to say, is that uh, when you jump into enterprise software sales, you're leveraging the latest and greatest technology stack to accomplish sales development and sales closing of a transaction. But if you're in an outdated company like Morgan Stanley, which I came from, they were just saying like, hey, just get on the Excel sheets and hit the phones. And you're not really leveraging a CRM or a mass uh, email tool or social media and all that. So that's the difference with enterprise software sales or latest and greatest bleeding edge software sales versus like traditional sales. You just you have to leverage a lot of technology to to get your quantitative up. But to kind of get you uh, more details into the process of how I do it. So the reason why I explain that is being an angel investor is essentially a salesperson. It's all about the network. You have to build up your network, your ecosystem. And later, that also helps my portfolio companies and stuff. So the process is uh, I, I personally like to go direct. I personally develop my own, I guess you could say, startup inbounds, right? And I'll tell you exactly where I get all my deal flow. Uh, I could get it from uh, LinkedIn inbounds. I get a lot. Like I'll, I have like 200 plus uh, LinkedIn requests, but I just never engage in those startups because I kind of just know, I know what my thesis is, so I won't engage unless they fall into my ecosystem. Because I'm not just looking for a startup. I'm looking for the people behind the startup and their network economics and all that. So, so going back to where I get my deal flow. So LinkedIn is one of them, right? Uh, I, uh, you know, my VC connections I have. If you if you're great at building relationships, you build friends with like you know product thought leaders or other VCs. They have deal flow, uh, and then maybe. Uh, uh, you know, a company like, let's say like Trinet, right? So I have a friend in there, they get a lot of startups. So anyone that you could think of that gets a lot of startup deal flow, be friends with them, build a relationship there. 
But 99% of my deal flow comes from my own efforts of outbounding. So it's one, it's like 99% deal sourcing myself. I reach out to the startups first and I'll tell you why. My belief is that if you want the next unicorn, right? You, yeah, they'll, they'll probably come through the accelerators and stuff. But the issue is that it's like once, it go, like once a home goes onto Redfin or Zillow, everyone knows about it. Once a stock goes public, everyone knows about it. So all the margin opportunities are squeezed. You always need to find an opportunity that no one knows about it. And the issue with accelerators, in my opinion, is that they're also a business model themselves. They want to build up a large ecosystem so that they win the deal flow. So now you as an individual investor or angel investor coming in, building your own deal flow, how do you do that? You have to build up your reputation. And going back to my thesis earlier that everyone's going to become an enterprise guy, meaning consumer technology stack is going to be more advanced than ever. Everyone can build an individual brand today more than ever. So I like to go direct because the unicorns you'll never, I don't think you will find them at accelerators, but the, the big, you know, the awesome unicorn, decacorn or whatever uh, come, comes from direct outbound. And I'll tell you why. Let's say that, that example, startup uh, employ, Okta employee number three. For those of you who don't know what Okta is, Okta is a identity access management enterprise software company valued right now at 25, 27 billion in market cap. I engaged Okta employee number three through an outbound, right? So what's his, what's his you know, history? He pioneered a $25 billion corporation product. The next product he built sold to HP Enterprises. And now he's working on this third startup. And we, we recently invested into them. If you just understand where he came from, from a track record, he's so pro that he'll, you'll never find him at Accelerator. So how is an angel investor supposed to source this deal? Right? You, you, you can't just expect yourself to go on like, you know, AngelList or whatever, and the, the deals will come to you. Someone has to source it. So sourcing has its ability. And you see this in the way technology communicates to humans, which I find pretty fascinating. The way technology is evolving today is basically saying, hey, you're human, so you be human as possible. I'm technology, let me be technology. In other words, technology is automating everything away. And coming, it seems like we're coming to this ultimate conclusion that it needs to exist on its own and let it be technology. And you have to be as human as possible, which, is mean, which basically means you know, a salesperson. So, so you have to leverage a lot of your human capabilities uh, going, at, going out there and directly engage with the startup. So that's, that's my belief. I think the best ones will come from your own efforts of direct engagement. And if you do it long enough, you start identifying this higher caliber of uh, you know, startup ecosystem that exists out there, right? So let's just say you, know, you got the lower tier startup ecosystem, this, the mid tier, and then the high caliber tier. And then you realize there's just basically a few deals being passed around top tier VC firms like Greylock, Sequoia. So my goal is to intercept that flow of people or network that will never flow to an accelerator because I'm a third time founder. I don't need to go to the accelerator. I just need to put my head down, develop the code and engage with my customer. So how do I, as a stream of network, engage with that network that will never find itself at an accelerator? You have to build a network with the brightest, highest caliber investors that will get you extremely far. And that's my thesis. And that's my effort prospecting, sourcing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. And uh, I'm glad you're pumped. <laughs> What's that? It gets me pumped. No, I, I like that, yeah. man. I'm glad you're able to share that. That's fantastic. Um, props. Now, there's, there, there's also quantitative numbers to it, but that gets into like the super technical aspect of all of it. For sure. Yeah. I, I love it. Uh, well, I appreciate you sharing all that. So now yeah. what we're going to do, because um, we're at that time <laughs> and you and I, we know we can talk for about two and a half hours. Yeah. yeah. 
the longest conversation I've had in probably a decade. So yeah, uh, let's just jump into the rapid fire questions, and then I've got sure. a few other things. But you know what? You, you took us through some uh, the markets and everything. It was a great deep dive on yeah. the overview of everything. So I love that it's unique. It's different. It's not uh, your typical uh, uh, way of looking at how to make an investment in finding companies. So yeah. I love it. Um, all right. So uh, first question. Sure. Let's do it. Hit me. <laughs> What's your favorite part of startup investing? My favorite part of startup investing is geeking out to the frontier technology. I, I am the difference between public and private is that in public, you know, I used to think public was pretty advanced, but once you hit the private and you hear you're having a conversation with a founder and a startup that's talking about technology that ha does not exist in many, many hands yet. And it's just so exciting to see like, Hmm, uh, the technology, you know, like the, the trajectory and potential of this, it just, you feel, you get this feeling, right? And, and then also like you get to hear the founder's thesis on the world because that's the, that's the thing about this world. Like, you know, the more, the more the mass market gets marketed to, I feel like there's less genuine people. And so when I sit, sit down on a call with these guys, it's just, I'm hearing your genuine thesis on the world of what you've collectively learned so far and where you think the world's going next. I love it. All right, more rapid fire, okay? Quicker. Okay, uh, yeah, I got sorry, sorry, we gotta go quicker. <laughs> uh, how many companies or dollars do you invest per year? Uh, so I'm relatively new as an angel, uh, done nine deals. When I started six months ago, I planned to do five, but I ended up doing nine and we're on our 10th now. So every year, hopefully we could do 20. Well, you're already surpassing most angels in six months, so that's fantastic. You're, you're breaking averages here, so. Yeah, thank you. Uh, most angels, <laughs> I, I'd say on average, invest about five companies. This isn't super angels, just as regular angels. Yeah. Phenomenal. Anywhere yep. between three to five companies. So uh, you're you're crushing your numbers, which is good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you, uh, at this point, I'm going to guess you don't do follow-up investments because you probably wouldn't have had a chance if it's only yep. been six months. Yep. Uh, okay. Any notable portfolio companies you'd like to share? Uh, let's see. There, there, there's so many. I really like them all. Um. I think one of my favorite ones, I, I might be sharing too much. That might be an issue as well. Uh, you don't have it, to name any names, whatever is easy, just something. Sure, quick. sure, sure, sure. So, so one company that really inspires me is that it's taking a, such a strategic position in terms of like infrastructure software. It, it, my thesis is that the world is going to consume and produce a lot more software. And one example is consumption of like, let's say TikTok. So the whole world is getting onto TikTok, consuming that software. And then this is just a little middle software that powers that platform of the world. So that's my, you know, that's my favorite in terms of like uh, infrastructure software and yeah. Love it. Love it. And, <laughs> Quick and TikTok, answer. You mentioned earlier, man, everybody is their, now their own promotional vehicle and TikTok yeah. is the uh, impetus to all of that because oh, that's man. Really I... what I look through all the time when I'm on TikTok for that 10 minutes a day, maybe <laughs> purely just here, look at me. I got some smart intellectual stuff to share or some funny stuff, whereas Instagram's more of. Hey, look at me in my glamorous life. I find that that's terrible compared and Facebook compared to um, TikTok, which is yeah. actually cool. And I've got some interesting stuff I want to share. And I, I actually find it a better product than Instagram. Well, it, it is social media 2.0 and it is leveraging a recommendation engine versus a search engine. And we are moving into a new era here of overloaded information. So in the, uh, what do you call it? The explosive information age, search engine dominated Google. Yep. But we just moved to the overloaded information age where now everyone can produce information. So yep. in the future, we're going to benefit. Uh, the future is a recommendation engine. And they're saying, 
uh, in the future, you no longer have to search for information because information finds you. Well, and that's the part that I dislike, which is the creepy side of it. <laughs> phones now more than ever are yeah. listening into everything we're talking about and every ad served and everything that does come up happens to be the conversation I had 15 minutes earlier. And uh, there's a breaking point where it's so intrusive that it's actually becoming uh, quite frustrating. Yeah, I already own a power saw because I talked about them doesn't mean I need an ad about power saws. Yeah, yeah. Or I shared a picture of a power saw and now I want to buy one. So it's um, it gets a little too intrusive, and yeah. I'm not sure why people aren't complaining about this. They make it. They tell me all the time, "Oh, I did this," but they actually seem fine by it. And I'm like, yep. "You don't think that that's odd that the computers are all listening to everything you do?" <laughs> Regardless, man, we both suck at doing these uh, rapid fire. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> um, uh, okay, any verticals you like to focus on? Uh, verticals, uh, let's see. So enterprise software, that's probably horizontal, but vertical would probably be, uh, infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, productivity, software, telehealth, uh, blockchain or web 3.0 social media. And I might forget anything else, but those are the typical verticals. Okay. Uh, timeline for investment, a week, uh, three months. No, much longer. I'm looking at five plus years, but I'm not even thinking about the time frame. I'm no, no, no. I meant the- like, sorry, when you make an investment into a company, like uh-huh. is it, Due diligence take you a week, a month, three months? How long does it take you before you make a decision that you want in on that company and that you make the yeah. investment? Uh, case case by case, it could be as quick as like, oh man, I love it already. There's a billionaire on the cap table. We got to get in. Yeah. To, uh, you know, I got I to gotta do a lot more research because this is Web 3.0. I don't know Web 3.0 too much. So it could be anywhere within three weeks. Okay, cool. Yeah. Average, maybe a week. Do you look to lead rounds or take board seats? Uh, that's what my partner has planned for me. So he says, so I have yet to find out. I'm still new, but yeah. Well, in time, you get to work your way up. It's good. Yeah, yep. yep. Um, is there anything else you do outside of financing to help the startups that you invest in? Dude, I do so much uh, because I, I think I came down to the model, right? Every startup has to go with product or product and customer, product and customer, and you just repeat. So I'm building up my network all the time so that later I could send them to my startups. So building network, building up my knowledge, my investment thesis, and helping them with fundraising. So I'm building both on the VC side and the customer side. If they need me to reach out to a CISO, I'm reaching out to CISOs. So I hustle just as hard. Good. I love it. Um, we need you in our fund. You'd be fantastic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, all right. So we like some heartfelt, uh, I don't know what the saying is, like tug in your heart kind of stories. So do you have any stories so far of the companies you've talked to that, you know, could have been a, a great company, but just didn't make it through COVID or they were not going to make it. And then COVID make them skyrocket and you really fell in love with the owners. Just looking for one quick story about something that just really changed your whole philosophy on humans and startups. That's, that's a big one. I, I actually don't have a story since uh, I, I fell into this gig during the peak of COVID. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, what I've realized if I, I guess if I could share anything else is the, you know, COVID has really changed a lot of things. Um, I've seen a lot of small business owners lose their business and I've seen a lot on the other, there's, it's always a flip of a coin. I've seen the other side, the digital business owners, they've significantly benefited. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, if if it's anything that I've learned is you always gotta be hedging or having some exposure on the other side. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't have a, a, a story, a, a, you know, heart-touching story. Well, you will one <laughs> Not day. Yet. Yeah, 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 one day. We'll, Not we'll yet. save it for the next time we chat on this. This yep. is good. Um, all right. So um, I guess we can, we'll shift quickly 
Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier, but we're going to go quick personal for a second. I learned this from one of the podcasts, which actually they were pitching today. They came through uh, uh, our Skip the Line event. Awesome yep. guys. Yep. Um, and uh, I listened to their podcast because uh, they do a lot of sports. Um, they're called Title League. Big fan. And uh, one of the things they do at the end is they ask some questions around personal things. And I thought, you know what, this is a great way. I need to be more personal on my calls. Not all business. So the question for you is, what's your favorite sports team? Ooh, ooh, oh, that's so bad. That's a, I, I'm not in. I don't watch sports. <laughs> okay, that's okay. It's allowed. Yeah. What's your favorite hobby yeah. then? How's that? What's your favorite? My, my hobby is truly investing. Uh, I, I just, I enjoy this stuff, and so I spend a lot of my time into it. Um, okay, that's that... both terrible, but we need yeah. to work on you getting a hobby because yeah. hobby can't be what you do every day because then eventually. When you get really good at it, then yep. you're, it's a job to you. And then it yep, won't yep. feel the same way. So you need to have something that gets you away from things. So yeah. We'll come out one later. But, okay, uh, okay. all right, favorite movie? Favorite movie. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. These are some, you know, uh, probably Benjamin Button. I watched that recently. I thought it was pretty. It, it's, so, it's so deep in a way that, you know, to start your life as an older individual. And you start to see, you know, in the beginning of life, it's not consumption. But he starts to see, like, people dying and passing away he see you see such a sadness in the beginning yeah. but then he starts growing younger physically but then maturely in the in the mind so uh i i find that movie so touching and so many on so many different levels that that's probably my favorite movie and which character <laughs> would you play in that movie dang well you would ask that too well <laughs> i guess i'll probably play benjamin button yeah <laughs> get to grow well, that's younger huh? you would, that's who you feel you represent at the same time <laughs> yeah uh, uh maybe well in a way with what i know i feel like most of my peers don't they they're they're still going to raves and stuff i guess yeah. well, there's no more raves now but they're just kind of on a different wavelength for me no that's okay i haven't seen benjamin button but i'm gonna take a look oh, you at should you should yeah um, i was i was talking with this guy yesterday um from uh, the u.s mm -hmm. and uh he was all about star wars and uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, my God, this guy's like Lando, like reminded me totally of Lando. That's and, hilarious. Uh, like strategic, smart, super high energy. And yep. then he's like, I kind of feel myself as being Yoda. And I was <laughs> like, I like that. It actually still fit. He goes, you know, the calm, the thinking. I'm like, yeah, that's good. But then yep. on the other side, I, and I told him, I'm like, you're, you're more of a Lando. And he's like, no, I know. I'm a bit of both. It works in there. And I'm like, totally. That's so, hilarious. Uh, yeah, so that's good. I'm going to watch Benjamin Button just so that I can see that reference. All right, all right, all right. I'll remember that. <laughs> it sounds like it's got the heartstrings pulling and all that, and it's uh, it's a good flick. So, yeah. well, either way, I think, uh, Kay, you did a fantastic job. I learned a lot. The audience is going to learn a lot. Thank and, you. And um, I appreciate the uh, the candor and yeah. learning more about uh, your favorite movie and character. That's always a good thing. I like to do this stuff because at the end of the day, when someone remembers who you are and they yeah. reach out to you, they use that as a reference point. We all need, oh, some, yeah. need some unique identifier, and that's the, usually the what it is. It's those little things that they can relate to because no one can always relate to the big picture. I'm an investor. I'm an investor. That yeah. bores out over time, right? So it's yeah. finding things that make you creative and make you fun. So yep. uh, I love it. Thank you very much for that. And in our fashion, as I take lots of notes, uh, <laughs> one thing that I do want to – we leave uh, – with the show with is we like you to have the last word. So is there anything that you want to share to the investment community or to the startups, uh, something that you think that they should know or pay attention to, or be open-minded to whatever you like, 
we leave you with the last word. Sure. Uh, well, another big one. Uh, I think with the trajectory of the world and this conversation might have sound very capitalistic, uh, but there are some evidence within technology, in my opinion, and, you know, interacting with humans at scale. I met 400 people in person each month. Uh, is that everything seems to be pushing towards relationships and caring for one another, right? So if you could have the right foundation, uh, a, good, a good value system, I think it'll set you up really well in, uh, in this game of private and even public market investing. I think relationships are everything. So uh, the last word would be, you know, take care of all your relationships, uh, treat, people, treat people very nicely, and good things will come. Because I didn't come from like an Ivy League school or anything, right? Very humble beginning and all that. I just knew that I loved investing and I just kept teaching on investing. So one day a venture capitalist saw what I like to do and just pulled me in. So not the traditional path to becoming an angel investor, but uh, I accomplished becoming an angel investor through just being nice to people. So that's probably the greatest wisdom and lesson for me. I love it. And yeah. Brilliant. Very well said. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, a big fan. It's okay. <laughs> what you're doing. Oh, thank care. you, man. Keep being yeah. good people. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, and for the introductions you've made, you're still a rock star, 100%. Don't change. <laughs> okay. And, uh, we know whatever we can do to help. We are gonna we're gonna support you at the same instance. But uh, if there's anything else uh, we can do with each other, we're certainly gonna make sure that happens. Yeah. And thank you again. We'll let you know when we're ready to send this out. Um, we're trying to push push more of them together sooner, quicker, and faster because yeah. right now we're not deploying till January, doing them one a week. So <laughs> we're trying to figure out how we can speed this up. Uh, just because people are going to forget they had the conversation by the time we roll it out. So yeah, yeah. I started doing two a week and just uh, rifle them off. But we have <laughs> a lot of great people and I'm so glad that I get to do this. So thank you very much for your time, man. No, you're very welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. All right. That was fantastic. Okay. Big fan, big fan of what Thomas and the guys are doing uh, and how they're rolling this out. Um, you know, whole family office and being able to get more uh, investors and more um, younger people coming in and finding great investments. And I think it's brilliant. So I'm glad that we were part of that. And we had to have this conversation, great discussion around global markets and how everything funnels down to the startup. So it's something worth checking out, but thank you guys. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know how I can go in and really break it down. There was just so much good stuff. So K, you're a rock star. Thank you, everybody.